0: Hello, oh, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 180. I'm Kip Clark.
1: And I'm Pallavi Kutamasu.
0: And to lead into your topic, Pallavi, it revolves around an experience and observation you had at Third Coast, an audio conference a few months ago in early November, which took place in Chicago.
1: It was really fascinating because there were audio producers of all levels. So I could see a student at Northwestern approach a senior editor at NPR One of the most interesting parts of the conference were these talks where stars in the audio world were able to speak to the 800 people sitting in an audience. And one of those stars was Ira Glass. He's spoken at Third Coast before and given this talk multiple times, but he always modifies it a bit to react to the current climate. And one thing that really resonated with me was his observation that Because our media experience is so highly curated, we have created these information ecosystems, his words, that tell us a different story with the same facts. And it intrigued me because as a curious person, I want to learn about all of these different ecosystems, but I feel like I'm boxed out of them. I don't know how to force myself outside of the box that has been heavily curated for me. Most of us, whether we like it or not, whether we consider ourselves well-informed or not, use Facebook or Twitter as our first form of information download. And that's a really hard box to break out of. My Facebook sphere are the people that I agree with and get along with. And it's really hard for me to friend people on Facebook who aggravate me or frustrate me with views that I am so misaligned with. But I don't think that should be the case. And I think there is a way to bridge these ecosystems. And I say ecosystems because I don't think that there are just two together.
0: I really love your use of the term boxed out because that paints an image in my mind of something artificially created that builds fences or barriers which were not previously there. And I agree with you that barriers and boundaries exist because each of us is not integrated into every information ecosystem. And I'll push back a bit on the phrase boxed out because when you introduced this topic to me and said the phrase information ecosystem, my mind was catapulted into the natural, the organic, the biological, and I think about migrations of different species or organisms, which at times can have a difficult experience migrating or moving to different regions of the world or even different neighborhoods, so to speak. Certainly as people, there are social barriers or cultural barriers, but on a biological level, I think certain allergies indicate that our bodies are often acclimated or expecting certain environments. And I think that translates really well to the intellectual realm, where on some level I do agree with Ira's claim that there are information ecosystems. And to make a point out of all of this, I think the tricky thing in my perception of this natural imagery is that to get out of information ecosystems and to overcome the barriers they present, we as humans have to fight an aspect of our nature, which I think is to seek homeostasis, seek comfort, and seek, in a metaphorical sense a small region to inhabit rather than to be intellectually nomadic, so to speak.
1: I really like that you embraced the word ecosystem and really thought about it as a term that can move. You're right in that the word ecosystem does not just apply to the term that Ira used, information ecosystem. And it's not a box. It's a system. The thing that I'd like to address is that, like you said, we should be resisting finding our comfort zones and remaining there for our survival because we've done that over centuries. Because of human curiosity, we as a people have been able to explore the most dangerous of terrains, been able to sail across waters that we really shouldn't have been able to. It's time for media makers like us to follow that nomadic curiosity where we explore the caverns and unknowns of different media ecosystems. And I don't mean to say that in a colonizing way. I mean that it's our responsibility to present what we feel is the truth in the most thorough context possible. Ira referenced the New York Times podcast, The Daily, and how many listeners admit that it's their only source of information. We can't place the responsibility on listeners to diversify their media streams, even though we should teach that it should be a responsibility. We also have to place a responsibility on ourselves as the people making media, to address these decentralized audiences and address the different ecosystems that exist so that we can bring them together in some form or fashion.
0: Well, I'm going to come back to the idea of bringing ecosystems together. But first, I want to talk about this nomadic curiosity that you brought up, which has led people to explore previously untrodden realms or untested waters. And while I agree that curiosity is an element there, I'm cautious of over-romanticizing the drives behind some great migrations, some of which have certainly been more conquest-centric and violent than I typically associate with a nomadic and, I think, peaceful lifestyle, which is not to say that form of traveling does not exist. But looking at the scientific concept of an ecosystem, sometimes ecosystems fail and as a result, their members or participants have to go elsewhere to find shelter, food, and other resources for survival, I think of great famines in human history that caused people to go elsewhere. And I think this all ties into the current moment in history, where at least in our country, the United States, I think there is an intellectual or ideological famine, so to speak, or at least an uncertainty about our intellectual food sources, if you will. I don't think we are conversing as much, and I definitely think new ideas and ways of discussing them have become emotionally charged and very un- uncomfortable or vulnerable for a lot of people, and I'm not immune to that. And I think one way of looking at the transfer of ideas and where they are housed or how they circulate is this framework of an ecosystem. And biological studies tell us that when two vastly different ecosystems or a species from one ecosystem is introduced to a vastly different one, catastrophic disruption can occur. Not only might diseases be transferred, but predators might be introduced with no opposition to them in sight, and I think that's one of the fears many of us have in encountering new ideas, though we may not phrase it as such. Perhaps we worry that when we encounter the unfamiliar, the new, or the strange in an intellectual sense, our fear is that the ideas of others will not simply integrate with ours and mate or interact, to use biological terms, but consume or prey upon and therefore obliterate the ideas we previously had, that information ecosystems in our current conception are naturally hostile to one another and cannot coexist which is an idea I'd like to explore. And I'm optimistic that we can integrate information ecosystems. And as people, being the thinking creatures we are, I think that's to our great benefit as a larger society to see how these ecosystems can mesh with one another.
1: There's a great irony in what you're saying about us being afraid of other ideas preying upon our own preconceived notions. Especially if we're living in this ecosystem metaphor, humans have been the largest invasive species in every ecosystem. And as horrific as that sounds, it also hints at a type of resilience that we have in being able to overcome different sorts of strife, like famine, like drought, like genocide. For me, what this means is that if we as media makers are to enter an information ecosystem, then we have more responsibility than we do fear. We can harm more than we can be harmed. In those situations. And listening to you, Kip, and thinking about how we as humanity historically have killed, conquered, and destroyed ecosystems of humans, of any living creature, that's a really important thing to keep in mind when we go through our own exploration. I have that same sentiment where I feel like we're at an intellectual famine, and my curiosity feels more like a need than it does a desire. And I think that's a really fine line that I'm sure many explorers have used to justify their conquest. I do believe we live in an age where information itself becomes far more accessible, including these contexts and histories in which terrible things happened. And if we want to go down this path of exploration, I think the most responsible way to do that is to understand the terrible things that have happened due to exploration. So I guess the question for me is not about whether or not we explore. It's rather how we explore. And I have a few ideas about how to do that, but I'd love to hear from you, Kip.
0: And I'd be happy to share them. We've been talking a lot about the space between information ecosystems and how one might traverse that space, but I'm also caught on this idea, which came to me when I first heard about the topic from you, that information ecosystems exist as bodies themselves, with their own internal machinery, members, and founding principles or ideas. And what concerns me when I think about information ecosystems is that I see a lot of top down behavior and not as much independent thought championed or magnified by media or narratives that I see. Which is not to say, as a clarification, that free thinking isn't happening. However, I'm witnessing a lot of mob mentality within information ecosystems for example hashtags being started and a literal amassing of identical or parallel opinions where people agree with one another which is not to say that that behavior is inherently wrong and i think unity is a really beautiful thing but if you're so frequently agreeing with what you've been told and stories that you've been given i do think to an extent you're depriving yourself of really valuable free thought And what really frustrates me often in conversations with other people is when I hear certain phrases repeated that I know came from a late-night talk show's monologue or various interviews or something similar which has been distributed to the masses and viewed, listened to, or consumed millions of times. Which is not to say stories shouldn't be shared, but if you're simply parroting what you heard... I don't know to what extent you are participating in the information ecosystem, which harkens back to the biological ecosystem in which there are producers of energy plants that take in sunlight and help create nutrients for herbivores, who are then consumed by predators, who eventually die and are decomposed by smaller organisms, and a cycle of energy exists within that ecosystem where all are participating in some degree, though their skill sets, if you will their means of production and decomposition differ from one another. But if every or the majority of participants in an information ecosystem are all performing the same task, I don't know to what extent the ecosystem can sustain itself. And I suspect that's one of the reasons we as a culture are witnessing what we are currently because it doesn't feel like our jobs are varied. There are a select few, often celebrities or household names who are hosting shows or have certain columns that are very popular, and those individuals are producing the intellectual energy, so to speak, but it's not being processed as thoroughly as it could be, or at least on multiple tiers or levels, as occurs within an ecosystem.
1: Again, another irony in the way that we've formed these ecosystems is we have a minority of producers and a majority of consumers. I remember in second grade when we were taught about the hierarchy of an ecosystem, there should always be more plants than herbivores and more herbivores than carnivores in order for an ecosystem to sustain itself, because there should always be a surplus of energy being produced so that the ecosystem doesn't use all of it out and end up in famine. And I love the double meaning that producer takes in this conversation, where we're talking about media makers and we're also talking about ecosystems. And I think that allows a flexibility for the word producer. It shouldn't just be the senior producer at NPR. It shouldn't be a producer that works on a show that gets a million hits a month. I think we need to redefine what producer means with the context of ecosystem. And that goes back to my question about how we are able to explore these terrains in a responsible and respectful way. And I think one of the ways we do that is by upping our amount of producers. We have this access to internet and technology that we never had at any other point in time where we can really disassemble these hierarchies. Virtually anyone can access a computer at an internet cafe or at a public library. So as we produce our narratives that are meant to deliver information, we should think about what ecosystems we're addressing and the variety of ecosystems our ideas can be incorporated in. So I don't think it's about creating producers. I think it's about sustaining producers within these ecosystems. And I think right now we're at a point where we only have producers and consumers. We don't have that multi-tiered system that forms in a pyramid. We as media producers and media consumers deserve a stratification of our pyramid. We deserve people whose intention is to curate our experience with responsibility. We deserve cross-pollination between ecosystems. We deserve those people who go back into old archives to bring something back. And even though those people exist, I don't think they're as formally addressed as they should be.
0: I like that assessment a lot, and I think the conception of a producer or consumer is really interesting in a human or information ecosystem context because I think many of us are producers and consumers. In one anecdotal example, various people who use Facebook will both post and comment on other people's posts. And I think in many ways, the framework for the pyramid you and I might look for does exist. There's a whole swath of options, at least on the web, for people to share, comment, produce, and even rework or remix in their own ways. I just don't know how many people are utilizing those tools. And to bring it back to Ira Glass's original intent... How many people are intellectually or philosophically reworking what it is they are observing or processing rather than simply passing it on to the next person? You also referenced a surplus of energy in the biological sense, and as it translates to this topic, I'd really love to see a surplus of ideas. For example, publications whose op-ed sections, or even more thoroughly produced articles, are bursting with different ideas and authors, and there's an abundance of perspectives, categories, genres, and topics from which people can choose And I don't think ours is a world lacking in that kind of content, but as you say, the attention, funding, or audience for some of those vast ideas is not always as well-maintained or as large as might be the more monolithic audiences that follow very specific and very powerful sources of ideas and information. And before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to consider after listening to this conversation?
1: Upon reflection about what we just talked about, Kip, I'm realizing that the strata that we hypothesized about in this information ecosystem are not at all an extensive list. I'm sure there are many incorporations and channels that should be provided to elevate other units of this system. And I'd love to hear from you, the audience, what you think should be addressed in creating an image of this information ecosystem.
0: I'm particularly curious because there are a multitude of frameworks for topics like this to hear of our listeners think about ideas in a different way. Maybe it's not an information ecosystem. Maybe they picture an information yard sale or an information grocery store. And I'd be really curious to hear how those metaphors would dispute or amend the conversation we've had. Additionally, information may not be the correct word to use in this context. I've considered throughout this discussion that emotions are particularly powerful when it comes to A lot of what is or is not being discussed in our society right now, and though we may feel we are in an intellectual famine or strange land, if you will, the emotions I'm observing do not seem to speak to a lack of feeling necessarily. Although as I say that, I'm aware of many apathetic individuals and of course, examples within our world. And I would conclude on that and ask the audience how you think emotions or apathy interact with information, whether it is within an ecosystem or without. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. We would love to bridge information ecosystems. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to and sharing the show with others, as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you can enjoy perks like exclusive bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.
1: And this is Pallavi Kutamasu. Think twice, or more.